Hello, and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Lily. Lily, welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, are you excited for book three? Oh my god, yes. It's my favorite book. It's your favorite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about how this is a lot of people's favorite, I think. It's just so good. Yeah. We love whole... the disease. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love we love diseases. We love plagues. Yeah. Yeah, no, this one's really fun. The jungle is just really iconic. I know. That is why I love it. The jungle is just so cool. What are your, like, standout memories from this book? What are the standout scenes? Okay, so this is such a lame answer, but I feel like, like with all of these, I feel like I'm almost reading them for the first time. Uh Like, so I didn't really have, like, standout memories. I just remember them being, like, awesome. Yeah. Like, or this book specifically being awesome. And all of them are awesome, but something about it just, it felt so tense. Like, it felt like the stakes were a lot higher. Oh, yes. Um, Even though, like, obviously all of the stakes are high in this series, but, you know, like, Aries is sick Mm -hmm. right towards the beginning. Like, other people are getting sick throughout it like Mm -hmm. I love a a search for a cure I don't know yeah yeah just feels I don't know really cool yeah I like it too I like because this is like we're going on a quest to find a cure instead of in the last book we did it was like a quest to go kill something Mm -hmm. and I think that going on a quest to find a cure and like having to work together to make that happen is just like really interesting Mm mm-hmm So today we're going to be covering chapters four through six of The Curse of the Warm Bloods, in which the rats send an escort and Gregor, Boots, and Grace head down to the Underland. Where we left off, Rip Red had just revealed to Gregor and his dad that Ares has the plague. So chapter four starts with Gregor asking how bad he is, and Rip Red says he's bad. Like, really bad. Ares was the first plague case in Regalia, and they think he caught it from the flesh-eating mites they encountered in book two, because blood-sucking insects can carry the disease. Gregor's voice breaks when he asks if Ares is going to die, and Ripred reassures him that the Regalians can ease his symptoms with medicine. Gregor tells himself that Ares is strong and stubborn, so he can fight it. Ripred implies that if Gregor doesn't come to the plague cure meeting, Ares will lose hope in finding a cure, so he promises to be there, but he doesn't know how he'll convince his mom to let Boots come too. This is Ripred being so manipulative again. Right? Of course, if you take that hope away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this whole scene is just like peak Ripred manipulator. He's telling them, like, oh, yeah, you can go home right after the meeting. Like, they're not going to need you for anything else. Mm -hmm. And also, like, you have to come because Ares is, like, relying on you. Yeah, he starts out by, like, saying, like, he's so bad. He's Mm -hmm. sick. And then he's like, oh, but they've got medicine. They can help him. But if you don't come, he's definitely going to (laughs) die. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, playing this game of, like pushing Gregor but also like giving him that little bit of hope like you're the reason that Ares is hanging on yeah yeah it's really brutal but it works mm-hmm. and uh it's convincing yeah Rip Red's effective <laughs> Rip Red warns Gregor that if he and his sister aren't there to meet the bat at midnight the rats will quote send an escort and ominously refuses to explain what that means before leaving As Gregor and his dad walk out of Central Park, dad tries to reassure Gregor that they'll figure something out, but Gregor can tell that he's worried. When they get home and see Grace, Gregor thinks about how his mom never complains that she has to work every single day, probably because she's just grateful to have them all home, and he feels bad that he'll have to leave for the Underland again. 
Working every single day, like, I don't even understand. That would be so bad. Like, I could not. Mm -mm. That would drive me nuts. I can barely work five days. Yeah, for real. (laughs) (laughs) By the time Friday rolls around, I'm like, "Mm, need a break. Yeah. (laughs) Plus, like, she doesn't even get a break when she gets home. Like, she's a mom. Yeah, yeah. She she just has to, like, keep taking care of everyone. (sighs) What are hobbies? Yeah, Grace is just really going through it. Grace asks how the movie was, and Gregor admits that they didn't see one. But before he can explain, Mrs. Cormacy pokes her head out of the kitchen to announce that dinner will be ready soon. Gregor asks what she's still doing here, and Grace says that she invited her to stay. She tells Gregor to wash his hands and find his manners, so he sits through dinner with his family and Mrs. Cormacy. It's really funny, Gregor gives, like, big yawns to try and hint that Mrs. Cormacy should leave, but it doesn't work. I feel like I remember doing that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, when my parents' friends are staying, I'd be like, ah, uh, I probably have homework at, like, the age of yeah. six. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I remember doing the yawn thing. Oh, yeah. Because adults can just talk and talk and talk. Mm-hmm. When you're a kid, you're like, how can you possibly have so much to just chat about? <laughs> it's such a chore trying to get your parents to, like, leave somewhere or, like, say goodbye to their friends when they run into them at the grocery store or whatever. It's like, come on, mom, we're on a mission. And now when we're adults, like, one of our hobbies is talking mm-hmm. in the form of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now we so, get it. Full circle moment. <laughs> It's 10.30 before Gregor and Dad get a chance to talk to Grace alone. Gregor ends up blurting out that he has to go back to the Underland and immediately regrets it because his mom is horrified. She insists that he can't go back, and Dad tries to explain the situation a bit more calmly. He says, It isn't so simple, letting a whole civilization die. There are a lot of good people down there, good people and animals too, who risked their lives saving me, saving the kids. We can't just turn our backs on them. And Grace replies, I can, you just watch me, which is super intense and harsh, but I also don't blame her that she's like, I mean, like, I totally get it. She's like, I don't know them. Like, I'm here to protect my family. Like, I'm working so hard to keep you guys alive. Yeah. I mean, they also, like, put the kids directly in harm's way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. She probably, since she doesn't know them, she can't really distinguish the, like, Underlanders who took Mm -hmm. Gregor's dad from the Underlanders that, like, helped them. Right. To Grace, it's all, like, this other world that, like, she has no idea what it's like. So she's just hearing all of these stories Mm -hmm. from dad and the kids and being, like, It's this whole, like, alien world that she is, like, so scared of. Like, she doesn't have the ability to, like, see them as people because she hasn't actually been there yet. Yeah, plus I feel like whenever I, like, explain a situation that was, like, maybe a little dangerous to my mom, like, after the fact, but I'm like, oh, but it was fine. And, like, like, for example, walking across the frozen lake when it maybe wasn't, like super cold enough to do that you uh-huh. know like my mom was like oh my god you could have died like what if you know and I, uh-huh. and I feel like parents just like really attached to those rightly so like yes. I understand yes but from the perspective of a kid too it's like come on mom like it's fine right right <laughs> I think that parents will probably remember all of the the worst details mm-hmm. first or like mm-hmm. fixate on the worst parts of it mm-hmm. without acknowledging the not good but like the other side of things because yeah even the stories that like Gregor tells about his quests like aren't good Mm-mm. and he he would never like say that but from his perspective it's like these people have saved my life 
and I owe them. And Grace is like, you wouldn't owe them anything if you weren't there at mm-hmm. all. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she orders Gregor to bed and says, nothing will change my mind. But as soon as she says this, a faint scratching sound starts in the walls. The narration says, Suddenly, it was as if the kitchen were alive. Scores of small clawed feet were running around and around inside the walls. Only a thin layer of plaster separated Gregor and his parents from them. This is terrifying. It's also really scary because it's like before the deadline. And so they were there the entire time. Just listening. Exactly. Waiting for her to say Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really scary. I, I actually like would hate this because... I don't know, like, the sound of, like, rodents is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, when I was little, I left a bag of Halloween candy in my closet for too long. <laughs> and I woke up to the sound of, like, a mouse chewing it and running around. Uh-huh. And, like, for years after that, I was, like, terrified of any noise in my room. Like, mm-hmm. it's a powerful thing. And that was one yeah. mouse. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a billion times that. Yeah. I think that there is something, like, deeply, like, that gets to something in, like, our ape brains of, mm-hmm. like, you like, vermin. Like, mm-hmm. we're some, like, something evolutionarily inside of us is, like, that's gross. We don't like that. Plus, like, it's clear that they have, like, sentience. Like, obviously rats always have sentience. But I'm right. just saying, like, we people normally think of rats being, like, oh, they're stupid. They're dumb. They don't really, like, mm-hmm. make plans. But clearly, like, <laughs> yeah, there's some scheming going on. Yeah, this... and I think a lot of people would have a uh, immediate like terrified reactions. Right, right. It's not just the fact that there are a billion rats in your wall, which is like enough as it is to freak you out, but also the idea that they were sitting and waiting mm-hmm. for you to like to forbid them to go to the underland, and they were just like ready for this. They had planned for this. They are like coordinated. Their and intention is to scare you. Yes, exactly. And they have it all thought out and it works really well. But it's also like implying that they understand English. And I'm like, in this world, are we just like gonna assume that all of the rats speak English? <laughs> like even the small ones in the overland? Maybe they understand it because they're around it their whole lives. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> I, I really don't actually. <laughs> Uh, like like it in terms of a feasibility thing or like like it in terms of a comfort thing oh it's definitely discomforting i don't know what to think of like in terms of world building because i feel like it would be more realistic if the small rats just like weren't as like intelligent or yeah like they weren't as intelligent as the big rats like all of the big animals in the underland can speak English and like have way better cognition than like the overland animals, but this is implying that the overland animals also have the same level of cognition. And I'm like, is it just rats? Is it like the cockroaches too also oh my have God, you're right. the cognition of the underland cockroaches? Or like like do the small rats follow the orders of the big rats because they're bigger and like they're smarter (laughs) or I don't know I just have a lot of questions about what this implies about animals in the overland what if it's like um a hive mind like somehow (laughs) (laughs) I said I wouldn't go off on like random things but now I'm like what if there's like a like the big rats have figured out a way to like 
control all the little rats through like pheromones or some Ooh. shit and then like they somehow can hear through them too <laughs> we're gonna they have like mics in the apartment we're getting um <laughs> we're getting a little bit into sci-fi yep. territory yep conspiracy theories <laughs> yeah i don't know what to think i guess i'll be on the lookout later on because in the in the second book it says that the small cockroaches are watching Gregor and his family and reporting to the big cockroaches in the Underland. But like, I guess I always assumed that that was like, just like a basic information of like, oh yeah, they're all still in the apartment or like Boots is doing fine or whatever. <laughs> but the rats seem like very uh, coordinated. And I just don't know, like, I think specifically the thing that's tripping me up is that they're like understanding human speech. Yeah, because if it was at the deadline, that'd be different. Right. Like if the big rats were just like, okay, now go. And the small rats were like following orders. Mm -hmm. But this is like, there aren't any big rats around to listen to the English. So how do the small rats know when to enact their plan? I feel like this definitely just could be a plot hole. Like it's giving me that vibe. <laughs> yeah, it could just be because like, this is a really cool scene mm -hmm. and it's scary. It doesn't need to have... A tremendous amount of logic because like there's no way that gregor would have actually like waited around till midnight so like i don't think it would have worked in the lore to have him wait because you know she could have done it like he's in bed trying to sleep and then it starts right that's true but i just don't think that's very realistic like for his character yeah it's way more dramatic if the mom is like you can't go and then everything happens because she says that mm -hmm. yeah we can move on. I don't think we're going to solve it. <laughs> we're not going to solve this um, question of if the small rats can actually understand English. Gregor thinks about how death- Oh. Huh? Maybe they can like smell like emotions. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like I should definitely like look something some of these things up before I just start like saying them. but like <laughs> well I guess it makes sense that like rats like rats have a similar like they're like dogs like they can understand when you're like yelling at them so like I guess maybe they don't have to understand English exactly they just need to understand that Grace is saying like no you can't go mm -hmm. and there's like a sense of finality to that even if you don't understand the words Mm -hmm. Like, they probably know what's up, so. If they hear, like, Gregor and his dad arguing, and then she's like, wah, wah, wah. Right. You know? <laughs> right, and shuts it down, and they're, like, yeah. about to, like, resign mm -hmm. themselves to not going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. I'm willing to accept that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gregor thinks about how desperate the rats are to cure the plague, and he says, they'll kill us before they let us stay here. Which is a wild thing to say to your mom. Like, he just says that out of nowhere. Like, no wonder Grace goes into a panic. She goes to call 911, but the rats chew through the phone line before she can. They rush into the girls' and grandma's room to get them out of bed. Gregor's dad picks up grandma, Grace grabs boots, and Gregor wakes up Lizzie, who understands what's happening immediately. All six of them move into the living room, and Lizzie begins to tremble as they grab their coats and leave the apartment. Gregor has to help his dad carry Grandma down the stairs, and the family only gets down two flights of stairs before the rats start scratching again. Finally, they reach the lobby, and Grace tells them that they're going to get a cab to the bus station. Right before they leave through the front door, Gregor slams it shut because just outside, there are hundreds of rats smearing their saliva on the glass. 
which is such a horrifying image of these like rats just going absolutely batshit like trying to chew through the glass door <sighs> smearing saliva oh my god it's terrifying yeah that's so scary but all i can think of is that like video of this woman like inside and she looks out to her like glass patio door and her dog is like just rubbing <laughs> rubbing its tongue all over the i think i've seen that <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah it's just like that yeah exactly <laughs> I'm just imagining all the rats, like, sitting on it going, like, licking, <laughs> moving their head. Uh, anyways. No, but terrifying. It's actually terrifying. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not as cute as that. No. Oh, man. Chapter 5. The family is trapped in the lobby with no way out of the building. Just as the first rat manages to scratch through the wall and poke out its nose, uh. Grace screams that Gregor and Boots can go to the Underland. The rats immediately stop their scratching and disappear from sight. Grace adds that this time she's going with Gregor and Boots, and the family decides to go back up to the apartment to talk it over. Lizzie, however, is having a panic attack, so Dad says that he needs to get her a paper bag to breathe in. Did you know that this paper bag thing is a myth? I've always wondered about it because it seems like it wouldn't actually work. Yeah. I just always think of the Teen Wolf scene. Oh my god, you're right! I also think about that all the time. <laughs> Are you, you're talking about when Lydia kisses yeah, yeah, yeah. Styles when he's having a panic attack. Because, like, what does she say? Because, like, it makes him, if you stop breathing. Yeah, yeah. If you hold your breath. If you hold your breath. You're like, she, yeah. she's like, you held your breath while I kissed you. And he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that all the time. Yeah, me actually. too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, the idea behind the paper bag is that when you're having a panic attack, you're hyperventilating and getting too much oxygen and supposedly breathing into a bag keeps that from happening. But the problem with that is that the person could pass out from not getting enough oxygen. This Wait, is... Why? Because they're suddenly going from so much just a little or what? Um, I think it's just that like if you're rebreathing the carbon dioxide oh, yeah, sure. that you breathe out into mm -hmm, the bag... Mm -hmm. You could pass out from that. And it's especially dangerous for people with heart or lung problems. So, like, people just don't recommend that you do this. Because, yeah. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Well, I've always thought that the plastic bag was, like, definitely more of a mental thing than, a, yeah. than like, a physical thing. It's really interesting. I was reading, like, a couple different articles just to, like, make sure that I was getting this right. And apparently one person was writing about how – I forget what website this was on. But they were writing about how someone who has frequent panic attacks can become, like, dependent on having a paper bag around to breathe in. And then if they don't have a paper bag, that will, like, trigger a panic attack because they think that they need it whoa yeah so then but don't you think like a lot of things could turn into that but maybe if you focus on just breathing right i think that the idea is that if you're having a panic attack or you you're around someone who's having a panic attack the best thing to do is like calm down by like focusing on your surroundings mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. breathing normally yeah instead of trying to force them to rebreathe carbon dioxide which is just not a good idea yeah and it's probably not a good idea to like kiss someone right without their consent either <laughs> yeah right as much as that is like my favorite scene ever <laughs> i know it's so silly though yeah it's no it, so is, silly. it is it is i'm i'm a steady stan what can i say <laughs> 
But um, yeah, no, I don't think that's a good idea in everyday life. No, sure. no, it works in fiction, but mm-hmm. alas, <laughs> it is not so simple. Yeah. Plus, like, what if like now like Styles like gets a panic attack because like Lydia is not around to kiss him? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's become dependent on her, <laughs> right? <sighs> the family gets in the elevator, and Boots says, "I can do button." And Grace just holds her out so she can press the button and says, good girl, but she seems like she's in shock. Once they've settled down again in the apartment, Gregor's dad tries to tell Grace that he should go instead of her, and Gregor agrees, saying it's because his dad has already been and people know him in the Underland, but he's actually just afraid his mom will be rude to the Underlanders. The narration says, There was something else, too. Down in the Underland, Gregor had an identity. He was the warrior. Even if he didn't always buy into that himself, it was important that everybody else did. And somehow, he didn't think it was going to look so hot for the warrior to be showing up with his mom. (laughs) (laughs) I like that he's still an 11-year-old boy who's, like, worried about how he looks in front of his friends. But also, he's, like, telling himself that it's for political reasons. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I need, to, I need to look like the warrior for all these people. Like, I need to be cool. It's part of my image. Like, my mom can't be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's really just he doesn't want to look stupid. <laughs> yeah, like you said, he's worried about, like, how her handling of everything will, like, reflect on him. Right. But, yeah, it is, I mean... It's just a very normal kid thing to be embarrassed of your parents. Exactly. Grace just says that she can't be the one waiting and wondering at home this time. Lizzie tries to say that she'll come too, but she's way too panicked about the idea for them to take her seriously. Grace tells her to stay home and that they won't be long. Lizzie asks if they can move away when they get back from the Underland, and Grace confirms that they can move to their uncle's farm in Virginia. This calms Lizzie down a lot, and Gregor feels selfish for having worried about how cool he'd look to the Underlanders, because he wasn't thinking about his family at all. Dad heads down to the laundry room to pry open the grate while Gregor gathers flashlights and batteries. He goes into his grandma's room and sees that she's still awake. She tells him he needs to go back to the Underland, and he confirms, explaining he's in another prophecy. She says, Then you got to go. You can run away, but the prophecy will find you somehow. They tell each other, see you soon, and the whole family besides Grandma goes to the laundry room. Grandma wants to go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Can you imagine? (laughs) I feel like she would be so impressed. Mm -hmm. I think she she could have a lot of fun Mm -hmm. down there. Absolutely. Yeah. Family vacation. Why not? Exactly. Fuck Virginia. We're taking a vacation in regalia. Yeah. A bat with black and white stripes appears in the vent to greet them, which startles Grace and Lizzie, but Boots just strokes her fur and says she looks like a zebra. The bat introduces herself as Nike and tells them they'll have to fall, but the currents will carry them down safely. Boots is very eager to get going, but Grace is worried, so Gregor devises a way for them to all grab onto each other and fall together. I like that he's being all brave and in charge, trying to, like, reassure his mom. Yeah. The chapter ends with the three of them dropping into the mist together and Boots saying, Grego, Mama, Boots, we all go wee! (laughs) So cute. We love her. Like a baby koala bear. Yes, hanging on to to Mm -hmm. Gregor and Mom. All right, chapter six. Grace is freaking out about falling, so Gregor asks Nike if they can ride down. When she catches the Overlanders and says, Certainly you may ride. 
Gregor thinks that her voice is pleasant and cheerful in a way that he hasn't heard a bat sound before. The narration says, Of course, the main bat Gregor talked to was Ares, and he was usually pretty depressed. Not that his friend didn't have good reason to be. <laughs> Which is such an understatement. Yeah. And I was thinking the other bat that Gregor is around the most is Aurora, and she, like, never talks. Mm -mm. I think Gregor probably figured that that was just like a bat thing, like the bats don't actually talk that much, but maybe it's just Aurora and Ares are like very antisocial for bats. Yeah. Or Nike is like very personable because she's the princess of the bats and she has to be like diplomatic. Oh yeah, maybe. You'd think like being the bats of royalty though, like they would be trained to do that too. Maybe Ares is just such a bad boy that he <laughs> he refuses to to cater to the human's needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, he definitely does have reasons to be depressed. Yeah, for sure. Nike asks if Grace is Gregor and Boots's mom, and he says, she wanted to come see the Underland. And then he thinks to himself, like she wanted a hole in the head, which is kind of <laughs> morbid. <laughs> it's like kind of morbid, right? Yeah. I feel like that's one of the like more dark things that Gregor has said. Yeah. Nike is honored to meet the warrior's mother, and Grace has to tell her, you can just call me Grace. <laughs> Gregor can tell she's taken aback by how friendly Nike is. Gregor makes small talk and learns that Nike is the daughter of Queen Athena, who he met in book one. They fly into Regalia, and Grace is impressed by the city. Vicus is there to greet them when they land in the High Hall, and he has a similar reaction to Grace that Nike did. Before the meeting to discuss the cure, the Overlanders have to get tested for the plague, even though they're not showing symptoms, Vicus explains that some creatures don't exhibit any for months after catching the plague. Giving me COVID flashbacks. I know, all of this is like so real now that we've yeah. <laughs> we've like lived this. Weekly testing. Yeah. Like on college campuses, like I remember having to walk to the like gym when we weren't even having in class like in person classes. I was just living in a in an apartment like mm -hmm. off of campus. But then they would have COVID testing like on campus. So every week I would mm -hmm. walk and like stand in line to like swab in my nose, you know? Yep. Wow. <laughs> that was not that long ago. <laughs> no, and I remember like when I, I did get it uh in college and I still to this day don't know how I got it because I was being really safe and nobody around me got it except for my partner. We think he must have gotten it like at work, even mm -hmm. though he like wore a mask and everything. But mm -hmm. I remember like uh, I was sitting at my partner's like table and his roommates were there and stuff. And like they were like smelling spices just for fun. I don't even remember, but they like put it up to my nose and I was like, oh, that's weird. I can't smell anything. And everybody just like looked at me <laughs> like accusingly and like, oh my God. And I took a COVID test and like everyone was like, you need to get out of this house like immediately. Oh my God. And it was God. just like yeah it was intense yeah i can imagine damn yeah <laughs> rightly so but it was just like such a you know it's so weird to think about it now it we it would have been weird to like think about it before it had happened it right. was just like a weird slice of life yeah <laughs> yeah that is really interesting mm -hmm. gregor thinks about how it's very possible that if Ares got the plague from the mites he definitely could have passed it on to gregor because they were riding around together with open wounds Hmm, yes, it would be very likely if Ares got the plague from the mites. Good things to be thinking about, Gregor. <laughs> they all go to meet Dr. Naviv, and when Vicus greets her, she's so startled she drops a glass slide on the floor, and she comments on how this has happened before. 
this is an excellent set of hints that we get as to the origins of the plague. I don't know if you actually like remember the ending. I don't. Okay, I'm not gonna say it then. Dang. <laughs> Naviv examines the Overlander's blood and declares them all plague-free, but then she has to examine them for fleas because they carry the disease from creature to creature. Luckily, they're all clear, so Vicus takes them to a fancy room with a fireplace, potted plants, trays of food, and a group of musicians. Gregor tells his mom that the Underlanders are trying to impress her, because he and Boots never got this treatment. Which is funny, like, oh sure, the warrior from the prophecies who saved Regalia a bunch of times, like, that's fine or whatever, but the person who gave birth to that guy? <laughs> We're pulling out all the stops! <laughs> Gregor is glad his mom's getting the star treatment. Also, it says that she hasn't even gotten the chance to change out of her waitress uniform, which is just like, it's so real. I don't know. I just, I can imagine being in Gregor's shoes and like seeing his mom, who has not even had a chance to change out of her work uniform, being treated like a queen and just being like so happy for her. And she's like so taken aback by how nice the Underland is. Yeah. Gregor lies about going to the bathroom so he can sneak down to the hospital to visit Ares. He notes that he's getting better at navigating the palace, which is such an interesting detail to me. Like, getting to see how over the course of the books he gets better and better at knowing where things in the palace are, without even trying, really. He's just, like, there enough that he knows how to get around, mm -hmm. which is just, like, a really good way of illustrating how much more entangled he's getting with the Underland. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. The doctors tell Gregor that Ares is being quarantined behind thick glass, so they won't be able to talk. But Gregor doesn't care. He just wants his bat to see him and know there's hope. A doctor leads him down the hall and warns him again that Ares is very ill. Gregor thinks he's prepared and promises not to overwhelm Ares because he knows you're supposed to be quiet in hospitals. As he nears Ares' room, he thinks about how great it will be when there's a cure and they'll be able to fly together again. But then the chapter ends with Gregor looking through the glass, seeing Ares, and throwing up. It's not good. Not good at all. It's really interesting. It, like, saves the description of what Ares looks like for a little bit into the next chapter. Mm -hmm. It kind of, like, holds out on us. Like, oh my god, how bad could it be? Bad. It's really effective, yeah. Yeah. It's really effective storytelling. You don't just throw up like that. Mm -mm. Even without getting the description of what Ares looks like, we can tell from just Gregor's reaction, like, oh, it's bad. Like, we don't know what exactly yet, and we don't know what to expect, but like, Gregor wasn't ready. Are we ready? Like, I don't think we are. Like, it's really <laughs> good writing. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, kind of some, some quick chapters, but like a lot happens in them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot about Gregor's mom, which is a good setup for everything that happens in the rest of this book. And um, of course, Aries. <sighs> yeah, I'm really excited to get into the next chapters. We're going to meet Howard's mom, Susanna. <laughs> We're gonna get more Nike. I love Nike. Yeah, she's really cool. She's I just like, like a lot. she's so cheerful and like good natured. I feel like there's not enough like good natured people in this. <laughs> like everyone, I mean, like Howard and people are like nice, but 
Nike seems to like bring some joy to the books and mm-hmm. I think that that's really important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. She seems really cool. I can't wait to keep reading this because I really don't remember anything uh-huh. about the middle part or anything about it. So it'll just be fun to keep reading and... Yeah, I'm really excited for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good one. I'm excited to hear everyone else's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Lily. Of course. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to come back anytime. <laughs> good. <laughs> Next week's episode will cover chapters 7, 8, and 9. Don't forget to follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, and wherever you're listening. And just before we end, I just wanted to say like a quick note to anyone who is posting stuff in response to things that we've said on the podcast. Do not be afraid to tag us in things or send them to us. I don't always have time to check social media, but I really want to see the things that you draw or write or make. The other day I saw a really funny post by Tumblr user Have I Hit a Nerve where they invented rules for the ball game that the Underlanders play while riding bats. And one of the rules is that you can get points by touching the ceiling, but you can't be on a bat when you do. So they have to like catapult you up there. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. If you want to read that whole post, I reblogged it on our Tumblr with the tag Regalian Football, which is what I've decided to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Anyway, thank you for listening, and until next time, fly you high.